Hi, everybody. Thanks. Good morning to you. Well, I find we find ourselves in a very interesting place in the Word of God. We're in the 10th chapter of the book of Revelation, and it is an interlude. What is happening here is kind of similar to what happened in chapter 7. If you open up your Bibles with me to uh, the 10th chapter, but flip back and look at the 7th chapter for a moment, you'll remember that John said, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and holding back the four winds of the earth so that the, no wind should blow on the earth or the sea nor any tree. And then, and then during that time the Lord chose 144,000 Jews to evangelize the world, to go to every tongue, nation, tribe, every people to share the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was uh, an interlude, a, 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 a time of pause, if you would, between all of the tremendous and terrible judgment that is falling upon the earth. Well, this chapter is quite similar. It's a chapter that gives us, chapter 10, a, a moment of respite, a time of pause. And, and it's, it's kind of critical to really understand what is about to take place. Uh, John says in verse 1, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, his face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. Let's read this chapter. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it. And there shall be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seven angels, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as, to preach, as he preached to his servants, the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and said, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the book, the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. And, I will make, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This is basically a, a respite, an interlude between all of the judgments. So much has taken place. There has been so much havoc on earth. If I don't know if, if you kind of got it yet or if it it registered with us but if the Lord was to come back and and there's no there's no time on telling when he's going to come back that's that's all in God's hands but if he were to come back this this afternoon if he were to come back and 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 take us and sweep us up away with him 
What would that mean to those whom we know and love who, who have not yet given their heart to Jesus Christ? We, we have seen the, the, the horror of being on this earth, the, the, very, the very taking of lives through these judgments. At one point there was a, a quarter of the people died. After that judgment, a while later, there was a third more. Millions of people have perished. Those on earth that are, are saved, some are, are still on the earth. Whether they're hiding, whether they're protected, I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't say, but, but there are those on the earth that are, are sensing all that is going on around them. And I'm sure it must be maddening to them to see this demon-possessed world, people just filled with evil, hurting one another. It must be harrowing. And so in and all of this, God puts us pause. A respite, if you would. And John says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven. It's such an interesting place. It's such an interesting statement. Let's pray and then let's talk about this place in Scripture. And, 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 and let's face it, I've, I've told you already, some of this is hard to understand and, and it's hard to explain. It's, I do the best I can. I, I mean, thank God for commentaries. Thank God for being able to read what, what people think about this place in Scripture and, and how they, they uh, allow it to unfold through their, their minds much smarter than me. And I'm, I'm able to study and read, but it's... It's a, it's, a, it's a major place in Scripture to me. Major place. This is a respite that's going to take place until the 16th chapter, where again, the, the, now the, the seven bowls of judgment will fall. We have seen the, the seven seals, we have, we have seen the trumpets, and then come the bowls. Let's pray. Have I, I not prayed yet, have I? I'm just yapping away here. Oh, Father... I want to thank you for Anthony. I want to thank you for the, the musicians and the singers, the people that you've brought. I want to thank you for Bonnie that, that, that signs and that you have favored our church with people who have come um, that we might be able to share Christ through this fashion, which blesses me beyond, I'm sure, Bonnie and, and, and Bill's wildest imagination. I want to ask, Father, that you would minister to each of us. There are some of us here, Father, that need this respite, this time of pause. Maybe not from, of course, what is going through during the tribulation, but some of us are going through deep waters, Father, and, and we need to hear that, your voice. We need to hear that, that statement that we're okay, that that you've not lost control. Things are fine. We, we just need to keep trusting and, and allow you to minister to our hearts and our lives as it goes. And so I, I ask that you'll bless, Father, every one of us here. Um, allow us to hear your voice. And for that to take place, please, dear Father, would you please move me aside. I want to hear as much as anybody else here what you have to say. I want to be ministered by you, Father, as much as anyone else. I need, Father, that time. 
of encouragement. I need that time of, of blessings. And so, Father, please, allow that to happen to every one of us. If we need to be encouraged, so be it. If we need to be comforted, please, Father. If we need to be convicted, so be it, Father. We just want to hear from you. Father, I want to thank you for this privilege, this church, this time that I have, I have a, the privilege of being here with these people whom I love. Father, as you well know, more than life itself. Bless us all, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to get transparent. thought about it while I was praying, so I'm going to say it. You ever have those times where you feel like, what in the world's going on? It's, it's madness out here. You know, it's, every once in a while, I wish I was with you. I wish that somebody would come and preach and, and would, would encourage me, you know, lift me up. Now, I, I, give, I honestly get it. I, that happens all during the week when I study. I mean, the Lord constantly lifts me up. He bears, breaks me down and lifts me up. and Whatever He does with me, He does. But there's times where I just wish I was with you. I was just sitting there and taking my notes and letting God minister to my heart. Because I need it, you know. Just feel empty. You ever feel that way? Just empty. And so I, I want to tell you that this is one of those times. I'm not, I'm not on top of the pile. I'm not under it. But I'm, I'm somewhere there. And I want to just be able to minister to you. But I want God to touch me as well. This is a, an interesting place in Scripture. It's, it's hard to make sense of it. There's, there's, a, there's a wrestling match on both sides of the issue of this place in Scripture. And, and I want to teach it to you as clearly as I know how. So that we, when we move forward we'll understand what we're, what we're dealing with. But as I say to you all the time, whenever we do anything here, and I'm not certain, I want you to write it in pencil. I don't have all the answers. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I will tell you always, I won't try to fool you. And I think that's safer than the other way. Have you ever wondered, I'm getting the message now. Have you ever wondered why God has allowed evil in this world? Have you observed ever that the wicked seems to appear to prosper while all along righteous people struggle? It appears that sin seems to have run wild and unchecked within our, our streets and some of our lives. And so it has been asked by more than myself or perhaps you, why doesn't God stop all of this madness? The corruption, the chaos in this world in which we live. Why does he allow children to suffer? When will his justice overcome evil? When will the righteous be delivered and the wicked punished? Well, here in chapter 10, as, as was in chapter 7, there is that rest, that time to hear God's voice within the stillness of our hearts to, to know that, that He is still in control. You see, the questions that I wrote down are much like the questions that we found in chapter 10, verses 8, 9, and 10. If you remember in, 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 in chapter 6, did I say chapter 10? I meant chapter 6, verses 8, 9, and 10. In chapter 6, 
there were those who were martyred during the tribulation period. I believe with all my heart, the more and more we study, that the church is in heaven. The church has been raptured. We are not on earth during the tribulation period. That's in pencil, but I'm believing it more and more as we go through this study. And so the church, those that are, were martyred during the tribulation period, who gave their hearts to Christ and were killed because of their faith and because of their faithfulness to the Word of God, stood before the throne of God and they cried out to Him in verse 10 of chapter 6 and said, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell on the earth. And we've learned beyond any question now, those who dwell on the earth are those who have not given their hearts to Christ. They're full of evil, and they're doing evil things. Well, that's not a new question. It has been asked throughout history. Job asked these questions, as did the psalmist, as did... Many, many others. I, I've chosen just a few. For instance, Job, the psalmist, Habakkuk. Job says, The tents of the destroyer prospers. Those who provoke God seem to be secure, he asks. Or he questions. He says, Why? In, in Job 21, verse 7, Why do the wicked live? Why do they continue on, he asks. Why do they become very powerful? The psalmist writes in, in chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, Why do you stand afar off, Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride, the psalmist writes, The wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. The greedy boasts in his heart's desire. The greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked, the psalmist writes in verse 4 in chapter 10, in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him or God. He doesn't seek God at all. All of his thoughts are, there's no God. So many examples more of this. In Habakkuk, he questions God by saying, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, God. You can't look on wickedness with favor. And so he asks, as perhaps you and I have asked at one time or another, Then why do you look with favor upon those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than they are? There's a guy on TV that I watch only when, I'm, when I can. In other words, I can't take him. I won't tell you his name, but I cannot take him because he hates God and he hates any religion and he hates people of faith. He's, he's, he's an atheist, agnostic, evil. I don't know what he would qualify himself as, but he mocks at God. And Peter says of those who mock God in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Know this, Peter says, first of all, In the last days there will mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. He says in the fourth verse of 2 Peter chapter 3, Then he says, where, they ask, where is the promise of his coming they question forever since the fathers fell asleep. In other words, from the men of old, from, from time immemorial, 
Everything continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, there's no coming of the Lord. There's no God. Well, this respite gives the people an opportunity to see that there is truly a God. He is just waiting His time. And He will, in the process, for those who are on the earth during the tribulation, who have given their hearts to Christ, whether they're hiding, I don't know. What, how they're staying out of harm's way, I don't know. But they're on the earth. And the sounding of the seventh trumpet that, would, that begins in, in chapter 11, verse 15. You see, this respite goes from chapter 10 to the 16th chapter. Do you remember in chapter 8, verse 13, John says, I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in midheaven, and he said with a loud voice, Three woes, woe, 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Well, we have heard now two of those three woes. In chapter 11, if you look at verse 14, John writes, The second woe is past. In other words, two of them are gone. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And then he says in verse 15, The seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of our the they're saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. That is a part of the respite. That is a part of those who are on the earth who are waiting for that coming of the Lord that, that he promises he will come. And the seventh trumpet is going to release seven bold judgments. We will find them in chapter 16. And if you'll look ahead later, you'll note that these, these, these bold judgments happen almost, almost one right after another. One and another and another and another and another in the 16th chapter. They seem to come quickly, quickly. And after, immediately after the seventh trumpet will, will be the coming of Jesus Christ. Where the seventh angel proclaims the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. He will reign forever and ever. But before the seventh trumpet sounds, there is an interlude between the second and the third woe that we read about in chapter 8 and verse 13. Why the interlude? Well, almost every commentary that I read tells us that this time in Scripture is a pause so that those who are on the earth and those who are observing in heaven can know that God is in complete control. He's not lost it. I mean, I mean, it, it might look like he has. As I said, a, a quarter of the people at one point died. And then after that tragedy, a third more all died. Millions upon millions of people dead. And you can only imagine, at least I can, I can only imagine the horror on those who are on the earth seeing this happen, believing and trusting in Christ, wondering, when will I die? When will I be killed for my faith? And so God pauses 
to allow everyone to recognize that he is still in control, that he has not forgotten his people, and they will be ultimately victorious. Happened in the day of Malachi, by the way. The people in the day of Malachi who trusted and believed in God were, were enduring some imaginable horrors. Nothing like this, nothing like it's going to be in the tribulation period where demons have assaulted the, the world. And so in the day of Malachi, the believers gathered together and, and they made this statement. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Listen. Those who feared the Lord, in other words, those who respected, loved the Lord, they spoke to one another in verse 16 of Malachi 3. And the Lord gave attention and he heard what they were saying. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. And what was said? Verse 17, the Lord said, they will be mine on the day that I have prepared for my own possession, I will spare them as a man would spare his own son who serves him. And so with that in mind, I want to say to you that, that if you're going through deep waters, our Lord sees. He knows and he loves you and he will protect you. It's just going to have to happen in his time, not ours. And that's that's the rub with me. I want God to work on my timetable. It, it's a little more effective for me, but not for him, I'm sure. And so if you're going through that time right now, hopefully this will answer some of those questions. Hopefully this will give you a little respite. Somebody told me after the first service today, wow, it was kind of good not seeing people getting killed and everything today. I said, yeah, I know, I'm preaching this stuff. It's heavy. I told you going through the book of Revelation isn't, a, isn't an easy journey. It's a bumpy road. It's not, for the, it's not for the weak at heart. And so we push on. But I thank the Lord for this little time. We have come here in chapter 10 to what many Bible scholars believe is the midpoint of the tribulation. You know the tribulation is seven years, right? Seven years, tribulation. This is the three and a half year point. Up to date, we have seen seven seals of judgment and six trumpet judgments fallen upon mankind and the earth. And because of these 13 judgments, Millions upon millions of people have lost their lives, if not suffered greatly. And so what John sees in chapter 10 is, is a very unique, unique incident. It's a unique happening in his life. And, and I want you to know that there are wonderful, wonderful, brilliant men on both sides of the issue whether this another strong angel is Jesus Christ, or if this another strong angel is simply that, another strong angel. I want to try to explain to you, but I'm not going to do it on my own energy. I'm not, by that I mean I'm not going to do it under my own smarts. I'm going to tell you what I believe it teaches, and I'm going to tell you that you can listen to both sides and, and, 
and pass your own judgment upon it. In the end result, it's not going to matter that deeply, but it does matter as far as cults are concerned on who is this one that comes to this earth. Let me tell you ahead of time, I don't believe it's Jesus Christ. Let me just say that. The reason I don't is because Jesus says he's going to come to the earth the second time. And he comes, if that's him, he's just touched down on earth, and he's going to come again after that, when we will know it for sure it's him, and that would mean he would come the third time. I don't think so. I think this is, by the language, just another strong angel. But I'm way ahead of myself. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. John sees in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, another strong angel who came down out of heaven. Now here's why people think it's Jesus Christ. By what he looks like. He is clothed with a cloud. He has a rainbow upon his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And, in verse 2, in his hand he has a little book, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea, and his left on the land. There, there are some questions that must be answered. For instance, who is this another strong angel? Before we go forward, we need to understand. Throughout the book of Revelation, there is a Greek word that's, that, that translates to mean, I saw, or I heard, meaning that John has written, I just saw a new vision. In chapter 4, John wrote these words, verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. In chapter 7, verse 1, John said, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds. Then in verse 9 of that same chapter, John says, After these things I looked, and behold, I saw a great multitude, which no one could count. In chapter 15, that we will study eventually, in verse 5, John writes these words, After these things I saw, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And then in chapter 18, and verse 1, John writes these words, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, and then in verse 19, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1, John says, After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of the great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Following this vision here in chapter 10, verse 1, John sees a vision of someone, something that he had never seen before. This another strong angel is distinct from the seven angels who sounded the trumpets. But also note, there are similarities between this another strong angel and Jesus Christ. We, we can see that from verse 1, comparing it with what, what John said Jesus looked like when he saw him in his glorified body in chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. And so many believe and, and argue that this another strong angel is none other than Jesus Christ. But there are some major points that argue against that thought. Now I, I, I study, as I say to you, uh, thank God for a computer. I have hundreds, if not more, 
books in the computer. Who put them there? I have no idea. How they're all in there? I don't have a clue, but I love it. I can type in some, some author in Revelation chapter 10 and boom, up it comes and I get to read about it. It's phenomenal. My favorite teacher, of course, is Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I find him to be amazingly intelligent and amazingly practical. But I also really enjoy Dr. John MacArthur. Perhaps because I personally know him. I also had the privilege of saying I knew Dr. McGee as well. Dr. McGee preached for us once at Yorvalin a Friends Church when I had to go to Vero Beach with the Dodgers. And man, I was so jealous of our church that they got to hear him. He was pretty old at the time, and his secretary, he had known me through another baseball player, and so he became a friend. God, who could figure that one out? And I asked him to come to our church, and he said, sure. And his secretary said, now you're going to be worried when you see him, and you'll think he won't be able to do it, but don't worry, he'll be fine. And I wasn't there, but somebody, they told me about it, that he sat on the stage, and, and he kind of made it up to the pulpit. And then when he said... He started to preach. They say he grew about, about 10 feet tall. I wish I could have been there. I did go one time when he spoke at, at a chapel. This is off the point. And they had a big fight. He spoke to both Cleveland and the angels. And uh, the Cleveland pitcher, I won't tell you his name, but he had, a he had a habit of pushing guys back off the plate. In other words, throwing at them. And Don Baylor got hit a lot. Don Baylor was with the angels and Don Baylor said to me, if that guy hits me, I'm going to punch him in the nose. And I said, you go get him, Donnie. And, and, and so, sure enough, right at the start of the game, after Dr. McGee did chapel, first to the angels and then to the, 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 the Indians, during the game, this guy pushes Baylor back and boom, big fight. And the and, uh, friend that Dr. McGee brought said, look, look, doctor, I thought you spoke to these guys. God, what do you, look at this, they're fighting after you spoke to them. And he says, oh, can you imagine how bad it would have been if I hadn't have spoken? <laughs> that was Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Nothing bothered him. <laughs> Dr. J. Vernon McGee believes that there are brilliant men on both sides of this issue. He mentions some of the teachers who identify this strong angel as Jesus Christ. I'll just tell you some of their names. It's Vincent Pettigill. DeHaan, Ironsides, Scott, and Kelly. Whereas on the other side of the issue, he mentions people like Newell and Dr. Walvoord and Dr. McGee himself and Dr. John MacArthur, who consider this another strong angel to be just another angel, not Jesus Christ. Now here's why I love Dr. J. Vernon McGee so much. This is verbatim. This is what he wrote in his commentary. He says, if you go with either crowd, whether it be Christ or another angel, you'll be in good company. But, he says, if you want to be right, you'll agree with me. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'd love to be able to say that just one time. Just once. Some say it's our Lord. Look, they argue. Look at his appearance in verse 1. He He's clothed with a, a cloud. They say that's a symbol of his divine presence that we saw in chapter 1, verse 7. They also say he has a rainbow on his head. And they say in, in Revelation chapter 4, and verse 3, we see a rainbow around the throne of God. 
In verse 1 it says his son was like the sun. It reminds us of the description of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, verse 16. And, and where it says his feet were like a pillar of fire, you can't help but relate to the description of our Lord in, in chapter 1, verse 15, where it says his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. So this another strong angel who holds, verse 2, this little book, they argue must be Jesus Christ. But, but, before we jump to that conclusion, we've got to read verse 1 where it says, another strong angel. The use of the Greek word for another is A-L-L-O-S. It means another of the same kind. It identifies this angel as like some of the other angels that were mentioned. Another of the same kind. Dr. MacArthur argues if Jesus Christ was being referred to here, then the word for another would be H-E-T-E-R-O-S in Greek, which means another of a different kind. Because Jesus Christ is entirely different from any of the angels. As you and I well know, Jesus could not be described as an angel because the angels are, are created beings. He is the uncreated, eternal God. There's more evidence to show that this angel more than likely is just a strong angel and not Jesus Christ. And this is really amazing because... Dr. McGee argues, Jesus Christ does not appear in the book of Revelation as an angel. True, he writes in the Old Testament as the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, before he came to earth as a human being, he was seen as the angel of the Lord. That's true. But after he took upon himself his, our humanity, after he died upon the cross and rose from the dead, after he received his glorified body, we now see him in a place of great power and glory at God's right hand, and we never, ever see him again as an angel. When he was here in his humanity, he was not an angel. He was a man. Hereafter, in the book of Revelation, he is revealed as the glorified Christ, exalted above all others. The reason that is so important is because many cults have built their whole premise upon Jesus being just another angel, another small God. He's not. He is God, a very God. And so it is well to keep before us that this book of Revelation of Jesus Christ is just that, is the revealing so that you and I can see what does Jesus Christ like and what is it going to be like just before he comes back to this earth for his church. He is now the one who is judging an unrepented, Christ-rejecting world. He's not an angel. He's God. There is a comparison, though, that does compare this another strong angel. If you remember back, and I don't expect you to, but maybe once I mention it, you will. In chapter 5 and verse 2, there was another strong angel mentioned in chapter 5, verse 2. Much like the one that we see here in chapter 10, verse 1. With certainty, the one in chapter 5, verse 2, is not Jesus Christ. 
then who was it? Well, I reasoned with you. The one in chapter 5 and verse 2 was Gabriel. His name, Gabriel's name, means the strength of God. Another strong angel. The strength of God, Gabriel. Well, here, more than likely, in pencil, in chapter 10 and verse 1, this is Michael, the archangel, whose name means, Who is like our God? Which could explain why the characteristics of this another strong angel are so close to the Lord Jesus Christ in appearance. As God's presence, as God's authority, as God's power is being pictured through this mighty, mighty angel called Michael, the archangel. Well, that and a nickel gets you five cents worth of something. I don't guess you can't buy anything with a nickel anymore, can you? Anyways, it's good for us to know this because of, of who we see Jesus Christ as as we go into this book. Now, I'm not saying that the other people are wrong. Uh, obviously, these are brilliant men, much smarter than me. But as Dr. J. Vernon McGee says, I really love, if you want to be right, follow him. <laughs> he's, he's uh, man, I can't wait to see him. He's a pistol. Really a good guy. The reason I mention all of this, though, is for this one reason and only, for this place in Scripture, is for a respite. If you'll notice, we didn't talk anything about anyone dying. We didn't talk about any demons being on earth. There's a respite. There's a time of pause. So that, like it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, when Jesus says, I will neither desert you, nor will I forsake you. For those of us that are going through deep waters, we need a pause. We need a rest. I, uh, I don't know what this is worth. I said it in the other services, so I'll say it this. I'm not even sure it connects. There were two things that, when I was asked to be a pastor, that I had no idea of. Number one, it took a long time for, for me to agree that I would do it, to take over a, that big of a job. I, um, I kept telling them, I'm not qualified. No, I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. I can't do it. Until I had a meeting with Dr. Uh, with Chuck Swindoll. And I thought nobody knew about what the church was asking me to do. And I wanted to talk to him and I wanted to ask him. And so I had a lunch with him. I used to meet with him fairly frequently, as much as you can with a pastor as busy as he is. And he was so fun. He had this beautiful voice and beautiful laughter. And he was so smart. And so met him in his office, actually in the in, in outer office. And as we were going to have lunch on the way, he said, Well, pastor, what are you going to do? I said, Do what are you talking about? He said, Everybody knows that they've been asking you. I didn't know everyone knew. And he talked me into doing this. There's two things I didn't know. I had no clue how much I was going to love you people. No clue. I had no I had no grasp of the love that God would give me in my heart for you guys. 
with that, though, comes an uneasiness that, that perhaps, I don't know if Pastor Bill's in here or not, but Pastor Fred and I understand perhaps more than most. And that's the, the weight. That's the second thing I didn't know. I didn't know how heavy a weight it is to be a pastor of a church. I didn't recognize and realize that when I put my head down on the pillow at night, it's not over. Some of us can go and leave here and see you next week. Fine. Can't wait to see you next week. No problem with that. But some of us will never know what it feels like to carry the weight of this church and the people of the church and the, the difficulties that come and the spiritual warfare and all of that stuff. Now, I'm not saying that so you say, oh, woe is me or anything. I'm just saying that sometimes you just need a rest. And God is faithful to give it. So I don't know what it is that you're going through and you're going through. Some of you might not be anything. You might be right on top of the pile. I don't know what it is that you might be going through. Or you. Or you. Or you guys. Or, or you. I do know what I've gone through. And it's heavy. I am here to say to you this morning, God loves you so much and that he wants to care for you and that he will spare you like a father, his own faithful son. Hebrews 13, 5, mark it. I will neither desert you nor will I forsake you, says the Lord. Father, I pray for that, for every one of us, that we would sense that in our spirit and that we would for those who are maybe going through deep waters here this morning. Maybe some are not. Maybe most are not. Maybe it's just me, Lord. Sufficient if it's just me. I pray it would be. But I doubt it. My guess is there are some of us here that are going through difficult times. These are tough times in these United States we live. Some of us are losing an awful lot. Things we never dreamt that we would lose. Just pray, Father, that you would give us rest. Let us hear that still, small voice in our heart of hearts that, that reassures us this day that you're there. I don't know what it might be. It might be just someone giving us a handshake or someone just giving a hug or a smile. I don't know. Whatever it is, Father, may we be willing to hear and to recognize how much you truly do love us. Give us rest, dear Father, those of us who need it. And may we be faithful, faithful to you all the days of our lives, dear Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious, precious name. Amen. I love you all more than life itself. God bless you and have a great day. I'll see you next week. Oh, next week, my, my, my sister and brother-in-law's 50th wedding anniversary is and I can't go to the picnic. I just wanted you to know so I'm, you don't think I'm just missing it. I, I have to be in San Diego for their party. I'll be here to preach. Uh, I made sure of that. I'm not going to get there that early. Um, and then I'll go up there and see you. Bye-bye. I love you. Have a good day.